Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And uh, this week we're here to talk about my pick, Greaser's Palace from 1972. Yep. Directed by Robert Downey Sr. Uh, and uh, starring uh, a bunch of people you've never seen in anything except maybe Alan Arbus in MASH mm. once or twice. But, uh, yeah, we're also going to talk about lots of other stuff we watched. JR's uh, been been just burning through these awful 2020 releases, trying to round out his stupid list. <laughs> plus, <laughs> plus a bunch of great ones. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I and, made, uh, yeah. I decided today I'm only, I'm only going to talk about the things I thought that were great because I watched mm. several great things. That's I noticed good. it was funny. You had like two four and a halves back to back and then you had two like one and or maybe one and a halfs back to back yeah look Ouch. you know this is the nature of cramming you, you, <laughs> some things are awful and some things are great and some things are, are right in the middle and you forget about them immediately and god bless you because I, I don't I can't I was like watching you log all these 2020 releases and I was just like I should probably watch some of these and I just I'm done. Like I have no interest. I'm like I'm just like my ten, my top ten is done. I'm not. I don't. I don't feel like I'm going to watch anything else that's going to make it in there. And I know I've like got, I, sh- I should watch that documentary you sent me, and I will at some point. It's but not I'm a documentary. Like, yeah, it is. The 20th century? No, no, no. The uh, bloody nose, empty pockets. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I honestly have I have very sorry. little interest in watching 20th century. No offense. Uh, only because, only because it's I have no offense. It seems like a guy Madden ripoff, and I've barely seen any guy Madden films. And like, I don't <laughs> like you know. So it's like I feel like I should see more of his stuff before I watch something that's lifting from him. I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's not quite guy Madden, but yeah, it's it's a guy Madden ripoff. Sure. And uh, you know, I've got I've got one more 2020 movie that I like think could end up on my list, and I'm going to watch that. And once I'm done watching that. I'm going to turn on HBO Max and I'm going to watch the new Doug Lyman movie because we're we're in 2021, baby. Ugh. You're going to watch Doug Lyman. Here we come. Are you going to watch News of the World? When would I watch that? That's isn't that still only in theaters? It's coming on VOD, I think, next week. Okay, maybe. Mm. I mean, will I watch it eventually? Yes, but uh, I, you know, I've I still got this 2020 letterbox list private for some right. reason. Me too. Uh, and I definitely <laughs> once I watch the uh, the climb. This weekend, I will uh, I will make it public. I took, uh, and I also, I should say, before I post my 2020 list officially, I, I took Portrait of a Lady on Fire off of it. I did a little, I did a little bit more of a research on it, and uh, yeah, it just didn't feel right. So I took it off. Devs is still on there, though. High and mighty. <laughs> I told, um, I told my, uh, my sibling, my brother, about our conversation about Portrait of a Lady on Fire because um, recently they have been making fun of me for uh, having such strict rules and yeah. <laughs> in all walks of my life having too many rules. And uh, after I told them this, they were like, we're just going to start calling you Rules Ryan. So uh, my <laughs> new name is Rules Ryan. Nice. Oh, so we got to redo uh, the so intro I'm, now? Is that what you're saying? Do you want to? <laughs> yeah. And I'm Rules yeah. Ryan. <laughs> So I, I apologize uh, for trying to put all of my rules on other people. No, I mean you're including but I, you. But I don't I don't disagree with you as far as you know 
U.S. release dates and and so on and so forth. And I mean, to be, I guess it felt more like a 2020 movie to me because I watched it so late into the, like I think I watched it in like April or something or March or April. So, you know, it felt very like 2020, even though it was technically been out for a while. But nevertheless, let's jump into. You guys want to do uh, your punishment film first? Is that what we usually do? Sure. It's not what we usually do, but oh, it's we can not? do it first. Let's just let's do that for we'll sandwich the what we watch section this week. Yeah. Sure. Sure. All right, uh, Kevin, you got to you got to take lead on this. This is uh this is more in your wheelhouse than mine, I feel. I feel. Well, let's mm. back up. What was the what was the uh actor who lost who lost you guys this game of Letterbox Roulette? Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia. That's oh, right. right. And I'd, I've seen the most Andy Garcia films, and you yeah, guys yeah. lost. And then we did the movie roulette thing on Letterboxd, and it came up to, uh, what was the name of the movie, Kevin? Duck, Rabbit, Duck. Right. Tell us about it. Yeah. Okay, so Duck, Rabbit, Duck is apparently the third in the hunting trilogy or the uh, <laughs> duck season, rabbit season trilogy, whatever you want to refer to it as. Directed by multiple Academy Award winner Chuck Jones. Uh, and it's seven minutes of goofy fun from Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. Uh, yeah, uh, this one just happens to take place in the snow as opposed to uh, the other ones that take place in just regular uh, forest. And this is a huge dynamic change mm. for, this, Absolutely. Uh, for this trio. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that sarcasm or... Yes. Okay. (laughs) First thing I noticed about this movie um, was that I didn't need the previous two entries in the trilogy to understand what was going on. Mm, Big shot. Because this is a uh, a Looney Tunes short with uh, Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And you know what? Those plots just aren't too complicated. That's right. Which is good. Which is good. Um. I was confused, and, and you know, I just maybe I just don't have a great memory of these Looney Tunes shorts. I was confused why Daffy Duck didn't want to get shot so badly when every time he did get shot, he was just fine. <laughs> like maybe being being shot doesn't mean you die. Yeah, but maybe it hurts. Uh, it just means know. that your your like your duck bill, your beak, uh, moves somewhere else on your body for a minute, and then you move it back, and then you're okay. Yeah, I, uh, you know, just I was talking to John about this the other day. Like, I was really trying to like lately. I've been wanting to get into like how how the writers of these Looney Tunes and even you know like um, like uh, the Popeye meets uh, Sinbad. Like, there's a part in the cartoon where like. Popeye just comes up against a wall and like, so how does he get through the wall? Oh, he spins his body around like a drill and drills through the wall. Like, yes, that's that's just what happens. So like, I am extremely curious as to how, like, you know, like, obviously they can't just kill Daffy because, you know, then it would, then it would be one minute instead of seven minutes, but it would also be a cartoon for adults then. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, yeah. but you know like there's there's other just insane wackiness like uh I I don't remember the name of the the short but like there's one where like uh Elmer has just had it 
with bugs and he like takes out his Warner Brothers contract and rips it up, breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> and then like he goes off and like takes a nap while he's fishing and bugs to like get him back into the fold, like throws nightmare paint. Like it literally says a can of nightmare paint into <laughs> into Elmer's dreams and like you know, just Jesus. goes through the whole like whole thing and like then Elmer like pieces back together his contract with Warner Brothers. <laughs> Mr. Warner, I'm back. It's, like how do you like how do you get there to like it's like, oh, let's have nightmare paint. <laughs> you they know? were probably just pounding pounding brews and, and getting high and you know, having a right yeah. meeting and they just came up with I some mean, great shit. I, I would I would think more they're probably high off of like uh uh insecticide fumes because sure. <laughs> Well there there was one of the animation studio where a bunch of these people worked was called they nicknamed it Termite Terrace because the place had such a bad termite infestation. So I mean, Kevin may, really, maybe, Kevin really did a deep dive on these uh, Looney Tunes cartoons. <laughs> Got the whole history like I, of the like studio. I said, and... I've been, I've been curious <laughs> as to like, as to how, how these things came about, and you know, I was trying to find like their influences and stuff. But you should make your next deep dive pick the uh, recent HBO Max original uh, season of Looney Tunes. Oh. Uh, I'm curious, do they like? Do you think they're like as zany and off the wall as the old ones? Who knows? These are new, uh, these so are new sure they shorts? don't hold up at all. Yeah. Oh, I th- yeah. HBO Max did uh, did one new season and probably will do more. Okay, I'll I'll have to get the free trial and check that out then. Well, they also uh, did a new season of uh, Animaniacs. Yeah. Who, yeah. Which is also yeah that's that's Warner. Yeah, those are all the mm-hmm. Warner siblings, right? Right. But wasn't that the on Animaniacs? Who? No, that's on Warner, Warner Brothers. I thought, that, Warner Brothers I thought owns, it was on uh, HBO Max just because it's Warner Brothers. Yeah, but they own HBO. I don't know. I don't. I obviously haven't watched it. Who could, who but yeah, care? I'll have to check uh, that out. <laughs> well, Kevin just making this uh, this punishment really work for him. You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> I mean, I leaning in. Well, I mean, from from what I can remember so far, like this is the one like quote unquote punishment that actually like you know has been. A decent film, sure. <laughs> and you know, if we could get all of them uh, to to clock in at seven minutes, I think we'd we'd feel less of a burden. Absolutely. Um, but you know, it is it's telling that you know no one went and watched Zombies Two last week. Nope. No. Uh, <laughs> Nor will I. But it's honestly though. But like, see, like saying something like that is. Like even your, you know, that sar- kind of sarcastic, like, well, nobody watched Zombies two, and it's like, yeah, ob- like obviously we didn't watch Zombies two because it's shit, right? But I don't, I honestly wouldn't want to give it credit for like of having offended me so much that I didn't seek out Zombies two. I shouldn't watch Zombies two because it's like it's not worth putting time yeah. into. You know what I mean? Mm. So, like, I don't want to give it this credit of like it's some kind of like. You know, it's like the room or something. Like it's some kind of like it's mass, no. it's so amazingly bad. It's just it's just a piece of shit movie that you don't need. I'd I'd say the same thing about fucking you know a superhero movie that I don't want to watch. You know, it's just like yeah, I didn't seek out because it's garbage. Like I don't care. I'd be curious. You know, Zombies Two is the only one of these that I haven't watched because it was the only one that I won. Uh, you know, I'm curious. <laughs> like, what uh, would Zombies Two offend me 
more or less than you know that that crazy uh that stupid 60s comedy i watched the first week we did this birds do it yeah birds do it which mm. i thought was inept and absurd and i thought it was just a total failure and a waste of time I- i'm curious if um if the like intentionally cheap nature of zombies would have just i don't know how it would have made me feel but uh we're also we're devoting more time on this show to zombies than than we should and Absolutely. that's my fault i'm sorry Absolutely. let's move on it is your fault <laughs> okay let's uh let's jump right into what we watched who's got something that they watched that they want to talk about uh, you should go first you haven't uh you haven't talked yet i should go for oh yeah because i because you guys talked <laughs> about the thing that's fine okay well speaking of uh popeye uh kevin you mentioned popeye i watched mm-hmm. uh robert altman's popeye from 1980 which I blind bought on Blu-ray at Walmart because it was only $10, and I've never seen it, and I love Altman. And I figured, you know... Uh, oh, and you, you know what another reason is? And I think it was subconscious because I didn't think about it till it till the scene happened in the film. But there's that Shelley Duvall song in it where she, He Needs Me that's also in Punch Drunk Love, which I love in Punch Drunk Love, like in the soundtrack. And... Uh, so I think that might have subconsciously also affected my desire to purchase and watch the film. Mm. But, uh, you know, I enjoyed Popeye. Sue me. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I, I say, I'll say I really was enjoying it a lot until uh, whatever his dad's name is, Pappy or something. When he's introduced... It was uh, less good. He's played by the guy who plays Mr. Hand in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And he's absolutely atrocious in this. Like, he's just doing this horrible, almost like an impression of Robin Williams doing an impression of Popeye, you know? It's just kind of this kind of gross uh, copy of a copy situation. And he's got like a, like it's a musical and they get on his boat towards the end of the film and they are chasing down um, whatever, Bluto, I guess, with uh, Bluto's captured olive oil and they're headed towards this island. Mm. And they're chasing him down on this like makeshift boat that his dad owns. And he's got a song. His dad has a song. But the guy who's playing his dad, the guy who plays Mr. Hand in Fast Times Ridgemont High, he apparently can't sing. So he <laughs> just like yells out the song, like just angrily growls out the lyrics to this song and i didn't even realize it was a song until i watched the making of featurette and they were like yeah he couldn't sing so they this is the song that he did but he just decided not to sing it (laughs) it's like he's horrible he's absolutely horrible which is why it's kind of uh, i only gave it a three and a half because i think i would have gone four four and a half had it not been for this guy but i loved Mm. all of the um cartoony nature like the live action cartoon sort of stuff that he like when he uh fights is it bluto that he fights or does he fight the fat guy in the ring i can't remember one of the guys like drills him into the ground just like you were talking about when he drills into the wall in the cartoon Mm. he drills him into the ground and uh (laughs) by like hitting him and then there's this other part where bluto sees him with olive oil and like he closes his eyes when he opens back his eyes like everything is red like they're all wearing red clothing and everything's painted red i was like that's just cool man that's just good you know production value that's Mm. completely ridiculous because it's you know it's for like a three second shot and they just painted everything red I love the production design. I love the the town, the setting. I, they filmed it in Malta, and it's just really cool looking. Just looks like something you've never seen in a movie before. 
And apparently that town is still there, and it's like a tourist attraction, which is really neato, and I hope to visit there one day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I liked I liked Popeye. I, it inspired me to uh, pull Nashville off my shelf and set it on top of my DVD player for a week and a half and never watch it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, hopefully, you know, I'll get to that at some point. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember watching the uh, inside the actor studio with uh, Robin Williams, and he was saying that, like, um, I think he was quoting somebody, but he said, like, working with Robert Altman is like he pushes you off a cliff, and you don't know what's going to happen when you reach the ground, but you're really interesting screaming on the way down. Oh, right, yeah. I think he said that, actually, in one of the interviews on the making of thing, also. Mm. Seems like that was a, a canned joke that he had ready whenever they asked him about Altman. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, it's pretty, that was, yeah, it's cool. I don't know. I yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, I look forward to watching uh, more Altman films as time mm. progresses. I think Nashville is on my criterion list, to be honest, so I might have to wait to watch it, but we'll see. Hmm. Who's going next? I'll go next. Uh, so I finally got around to watching Tenet. Uh, and yeah, I it wasn't as bad as I was necessarily expecting it to be. Uh, gave it a three out of five. Um, I, uh, I guess I enjoyed it a little bit more than you guys. But like I was just... I mean, Pattinson... Pattinson is what is worth makes the movie worth watching when you really get right down to it for me. Uh, and I liked, I liked Branna a lot because, like, the parts where he's, like, playing it, you know, sort of straight is, like, really good. Like, he's good at doing that, that villain-type character. But when he's, like, you know, going above and beyond, like, to be a Bond villain, he even gets that right. So... But, yeah, uh, he should really. He should. He missed his calling. He should be a Bond villain. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, like, like I was telling you guys the other day, like I, uh, the action I thought was eh, it's fine. Uh, but like, like we're introduced to the protagonist, uh, John David Washington, and as the audience, you know. We already know how good he is. If he wasn't as good as he is, he would not be in the position in the first place. But it's like every time he sits down with someone, they have to mention something, and he has to give a five-minute explanation on how he knows what it is and what it does. And that's like every single scene, almost. That's Chris Chris Nolan screenwriting 101. I know, and and it's like... <laughs> It's like he wants he wants us to be able that's the thing about Nolan that like really got hammered home to me when I rewatched all of his movies like including the Batman movies. You know, he has this reputation for being a, you know, thinker's director, but no, he's explaining things to you in like really condescending detail. And, like, you know, supposedly he expects you to rise to the occasion, but no, he's talking down to everybody, yeah. and his movies are not good enough to warrant that. 
is the he is the general public's the blockbuster going public's version of a thinker's <laughs> director or a thinking director. Right. Right. Yeah. And this is, you know, I don't know. I I say that while pretty sure I'm pretty sure that I really like Memento and The Prestige, but I haven't seen it in mm. a while. You, you I think don't. Prestige <laughs> I think Prestige is the best, but, I mean, that's got Hugh Jackman circa 2006, so, like, right around the time of The Fountain, so, like, that counts That counts for a huge amount of it. He's you know, got that residual, like, f- the fountain energy coming out of him. and <laughs> Exactly. It's carrying and, you know, people, him through it. <laughs> yeah, and people will talk about Christian Bale until the cows come home, but, like, no, it's fucking Hugh Jackman that makes the and, Prestige. Yeah. And Bowie. <laughs> and Bowie, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I like. I mean, I'm still. I uh, I'm still of the opinion that he's made one good movie, and it's Dunkirk. So I, you know, that's that's for me. Dunkirk is truly terrific, and everything else he's done is kind of subpar. But again, I haven't seen. I'm with Jr. I haven't seen. I haven't seen Prestige since the theater, and I haven't seen Memento in even longer, probably in 15 years. So who I mean, knows? I I liked Memento because you know, like. Guy Pierce is good. Joe Pantoliano is good, uh, and like the bit players, like uh, Steven Steven Tobolowsky and uh, I can never remember her, her her real name, but she's BB the the agent from Frasier. Oh yeah, um, I don't I don't know her name either. She was a yeah, Phantom, but, Phantom Thread. Yeah, and she's great. You know she she's she's in that. Great. She's in Memento. Yeah. Oh yeah, I like her. Um. But yeah, I mean, like, really, if you want to see something in that vein, just watch uh, the Seinfeld episode. Right, the where, Indian Indian yeah, wedding where they, episode. Yeah, Classic. the Indian wedding episode <laughs> of Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> where, where George refuses to use the bathroom the entire time he's in India. He's exactly. <laughs> yeah. He holds it in. Classic. <laughs> just classic. I did that yes. once at a Boy Scout summer camp. The latrines you, frightened me. Oh, Jesus. How long did you hold it in? A week? You held in piss for a week? Oh, no, no, not piss. You could pee anywhere. This guy held in piss. George oh, held in piss for wild. like a day and a half. It was ridiculous. Jeez. All right. That's bad. bad for you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. He said, he, was like, he, was, he said that it was 120 degrees, so he just sweated out. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. JR? Yeah, yeah I, watched, uh, I watched Another Round, which is a... Uh, 2020 movie starring uh, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, directed by Thomas uh, Vinterberg. I'm actually second guessing that I'm saying his name right, but it's definitely Vinterberg, yeah. um, who has done several really good things, including uh, The Hunt with Mads Mikkelsen in 2012 and uh, Festin or Celebration, which was a, a pretty big deal when it came out in the late 90s. Um, and this is about uh, Mads Mikkelsen, who is a boring ass middle aged. Uh, senior history teacher who's just kind of coasting through life and uh, doesn't really have any close friends and his family doesn't really like him because he's so boring and he's just like can't get excited about anything has no joy for life Uh, it's like something has sucked uh, the life out of him and um, at dinner with three other work acquaintances one night they get to talking about um, things and they get to talking about Mads Mikkelsen's life 
and how they can improve it. And uh, they come upon this idea that, like, they heard this experiment they heard about where a guy lived his whole, like, waking life every minute, like, from the moment he was up till he went to bed at uh, 0.05% blood alcohol content. Um, So they decide that uh, they are going to try that to see if it makes them, uh, you know, better teachers, better friends, better family members, people who are just getting a lot more joy out of life. And uh, for the first, we'll say, hour, uh, it absolutely works. Consuming low levels of alcohol makes them uh, much better people. Uh, It makes them better. They're just better at everything. Uh, And they're getting a lot out of their lives where they were not before. And that's what, you know, that's why I'm drinking a beer right now. Uh, Because if you only watch the first 70 minutes of this movie, you're like, that's a great fucking idea. It's awesome. Uh, You know, only in Utah could I get a DUI with this number. That's not true. You could probably get it in other states I don't know about. But, um... But yeah, I mean, it, this plays out as like a pretty sweet, like life affirming comedy while uh, this is working. And, uh, you know, the second half, we definitely get, we get a turn. And for the most part, you know, as this experiment is falling apart and uh, things are getting out of hand, it's not like too dark. I think the worst part of the movie is a part in the third act where it does get a little bit too dark for a few minutes. And it also just gets like... With that turn to darkness, it also gets more plot heavy than any of the uh, the rest of the movie was before. Like this is a very like loose, uh, you know, pretty shaggy comedy. Probably doesn't need to be two hours if we're you know we could have tightened some things up. But for the most part, that doesn't matter because it's so just kind of pleasant to to hang out with. Um, but yeah, Mads Mikkelsen is incredible. I think I've said before that I really like him. But uh, this combination, Mikkelsen and Vinterberg, uh, it totally works. The Hunt is also really good. I recommend that. And, uh, yeah, this made it onto my top ten list. It, my top ten list that I talked about last week, or last time, has totally changed. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, this bumped out some stuff. It's good. Awesome. I downloaded it. I just haven't had a chance to watch it. You know, it's uh, it's funny. With us. I, for, I forgot to say at, at the end of Tenet, like, uh, so there's an episode of Doctor Who where the doctor meets ostensibly for the first time somebody who, like, he apparently has, like, a rich history with, but he's meeting her for the first time, and she's meeting him for, like, almost the last time. Spoiler alert, this is what's happening at the end of uh, Tenet. Alex Kingston. Exactly. Yeah, River Song. Nerds. Um, yep. Doctor Who's the best. <laughs> but the funny, the funny thing is, so, you know, Nolan, rip, Nolan rips off Doctor Who with that. But this movie is ripping off a sketch from that Mitchell and Webb look where this guy is introduced to these people who apparently run the world and the way they do it perfectly is by maintaining a certain level of inebriation at all times. And, like, at first they're, like, making it, like, really sinister. They're, like, playing, like, Pinderetsky in the background. And the character one day, you know, goes a little overboard with the inebriation, and then the world goes to shit. There's the apocalypse. So... <laughs> 
I'm wondering what other movie is going to somehow be ripping off a British TV show next. <laughs> only only trying, to, trying, trying to bring more emotional gravitas to it. Hey, you say that like another round is bad. You don't know. No, I don't. You don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think uh, you guys would enjoy this if it were in English, but since you guys hate foreigners, you'll probably never see it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I watched multiple foreign language films in a row. I stopped All watching right. Ghost in the Shell on Amazon Prime because it did not have the Japanese soundtrack. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we love foreign cinema. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I uh, I watch. I'm gonna go a little out of order here because. Uh, Kevin just I'm just gonna riff off Kevin all episode he just mentioned Kenneth Branagh and Tenet and I finally watched the entirety of Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet uh actually I watched the first two uh two and a half hours I watched probably six separate times all the way through with my students and then finally, it was like the end of the week, and there was no more time to watch it. So I just powered through the last hour and a half by myself in my classroom. And uh, I like it. You know, it's not perfect. It's not as good as Olivier's, in my opinion. What about but Mel Gibson's? I haven't seen it, and I watched the first 20 minutes of it, and it was really cringy. Mel Gibson is a horrible actor when it comes to Shakespeare. <laughs> he does not he does not perform it well. That's the, that's the one my teacher showed me. Oh, so sorry. Um, no, but Branagh's good in Hamlet. His problem is that, like, prior to – it's weird. I mean, I think it's a conscious choice. He's obviously got a really good – grip on who the character is he's he's play was playing him on the stage for years before he made this film but he plays him as this kind of sniveling you know wussy boy (laughs) prior to the meeting with his father's ghost after he meets his father's ghost he becomes like a totally different character which you can uh, you know you can see that in the play somewhat um and it is like his call to action and everything but it's really interesting to see the turn that he makes, and I think it's a little bit. There's too much of a turn. Is that that would be my criticism? Like he's just playing it a little too snivelly at the beginning, mm. a little too uh, pretentious, maybe because <laughs> he's like he's just got these like ominous stares that he gives to Claudius, played by uh, Derek Jacoby or Jacoby, and uh, and then it's just like, but then there'll be like this narration where he's all like, <laughs> my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really it's just really it's it's brutal but uh i really appreciate a lot of the choices that he makes as a director in the film i think that the setting setting it in this uh whatever it is i don't know 19th century castle this kind of victorian setting is really smart and uh the thing that i think is the most brilliant is some of his casting choices i don't know what compelled him to cast Jack Lemon as Marcellus, the guard uh, who sees the ghost at the beginning, because it makes no sense, right? It's just like Jack Lemon. Even in '96, Jack Lemon's like 80, and he's playing like a like a guard. <laughs> like Jack Lemon should be Polonius or something, right? If anything, and he's Jack Lemon, so it's just like it's just such a bizarre choice. But he really he plays it so good. 
he like he adds all this like uh there's this scene i don't want to get into into shakespeare here but he get there's this amazing scene where horatio is telling horatio and marcellus are telling um hamlet that they've seen his father's ghost and uh horatio says something like like these two guards were were stricken what did he say? They were stricken like oh, he says they were stricken like bowls of jelly with fear. And Jack Lemon just shoots this look at Horatio, like what the fuck? Like, what, like <laughs> what are you telling him? Is it it's so amazing? It's really great. And and the 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 pièce de résistance, as it were, Billy Crystal as the grave digger, who I was really <laughs> loathing. I was like, oh man, it's going to be bad. Like Billy Crystal's not going to do this well, but he pulls it off so well. He plays this. He plays the gravedigger as this total asshole, like jokester guy. It it really works well. It's it's mm. perfect. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just had a lot of fun with it. It's it's four hours, and I mean, it's hard to say about like speak about pacing because of the, the way I watched it. But I don't know. I feel like it goes by pretty fast. Mm. It's well well done. I mean, obviously, it's you know, it's using every bit of text. Which is unnecessary, but I guess for completionists like Shakespeare heads, they like that. But I mean, uh, uh, you could easily take out an hour, an hour and a half of this thing. Well, and mm. he didn't do, he didn't do that for Henry the Fifth, right? I don't know, but Hamlet is the longest Shakespeare play, so it's. Uh, is it really? Yeah, so it's longer oh, than Henry V. I don't. I've never. I haven't seen Henry V. Still, I'm. I'm I actually just mm. added um, the Olivier Henry V to my queue on Criterion Channel, and uh, I'm going to try to watch that as well as Branagh's at some point soon. But. So, I mean, Branagh's. Um, you know, he didn't do like a, a real film of of Twelfth Night, but he did. Uh, there's like a recorded stage version. Mm-hmm. fancy stage mm-hmm. version that he did uh, and i'm pretty sure that was also like almost two and a half hours yeah but yeah so he feels like he's, he's really into it <laughs> making these go making these mm. go a long time and like 12th <laughs> night pretty pretty short right exactly yeah i mean mm. he and he also he has a um he's done i mean he's done so much shakespeare too he's did he did uh much ado about nothing and then he also has the um he has another one of the like what you're talking about it's one of these like bbc kind of filmed stage performances of macbeth mm. so oh i gotta check that out yeah he's he's macbeth and uh, that actually reminds me i was gonna i was I, I i'm just gonna say this now because i don't want to forget you know that um there was a little bit of like sort of like a minor bit of news that happened this week with uh roger deakins on his podcast he he let it slip that uh the the new Joel Cohen film is filmed in black and white, and it's you know you know you, Wait, the the Macbeth one yeah mm. he says shot the in Macbeth black and one. white the one just, called just Macbeth. Macbeth that's based on Macbeth <laughs> um, mm. but it's just like I like I don't know what this movie is like I was thinking about it today because I finished watching Nomadland today and I was thinking about it and I was like I was like, Frances McDormand is in her 60s, and so is Denzel. Like, what is this movie? Like, I don't understand. Mm. And there's no information about it, you know, except for the actors involved and, the you know, like who the cinematographer is and shit like that. So Yeah. And And it's Joe Cohen by himself without Ethan. It's just such a weird – it's going to be so strange. Yeah, and, like, on on Letterboxd, at least, like, the picture that they have for it is, like, a picture of California, but with – you know the the word Macbeth written into the state. Is that uh, right? Yeah, it's 
didn't know so, that. So I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly Do what they're going Do you think Denzel's going to play a, uh, a Trump figure? Yeah, it might be like mm. a modern day sort of. Really? I didn't realize that. I really thought it would be. Trump as Macbeth? <laughs> Trump as Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh... <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you said that's on IMDb. I don't see that image you're talking. No, about. Uh, Letterboxd. Oh, it's on Letterboxd. Oh, I yeah, yeah. Know. Well, that's. I mean, that's that's coming from um, what? Inter- TMDB. Yeah, TMDB, right? Yeah. Oh. Uh, anyway, but anyways, I was just thinking. I was just thinking about that because I was like, this is such a strange choice. And weirdly enough, uh, in Nomadland, uh, she, uh, Francis McDormand recites sonnet 18 from shakespeare so oh kind of a kind of a little little uh foreshadowing of her future shakespeare career coming up i cannot mm-hmm. remember francis mcdormand ever looking particularly young mm-hmm. but nomadland definitely like made her look her age she's you know, haggard. she looks like a woman yeah. in her 60s absolutely Absolutely, except that one shot where she's totally naked in the water. Yep. She didn't look like she was in her 60s there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, JR. No, I'm, just <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know why I say these things. All right. <laughs> Kevin, you're, you can go. All right. Uh, so I watched uh, Dead Presidents. Uh, John, I think, you, I think you might agree with me on this like dead presidents is like i wouldn't necessarily call it a film school film hmm. but it's definitely a first film well it's like, not their first film though it's not no they made uh um theory, don't be a menace ruined don't be a menace to society oh <laughs> <laughs> it's well, their that, second well, their, their sophomore oh, effort. okay it's like that would make this oh, worse right. then Play, yeah, I mean, honestly, like I, I think I think you were well, closer with this film school thing. I, although I think it's more like it feels like a movie made by people who had Goodfellas posters and Fight Club posters hanging absolutely. up in their dorm room. Yeah, because uh, they're yeah. time travelers, right? Yes, thank you. I mean, you understand what my point, though. I mean, it feels well, no, like I, one of those. Yeah, kinds for sure. Of, uh, yeah, because like that's the thing. Like the the influences are are obviously like very present in the movie. It's like. Yeah, like they've watched they've watched a good number of Scorsese movies, and they obviously yeah. really liked Platoon. Um, it's, I mean, it's. I used to think of it as the sort of like Black Goodfellas, like that's mm. sort of how it played to me. But now yeah. I don't think of it that way because it feels like it's giving it too much credit. Like it's not anywhere yeah. near as good as Goodfellas. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, like like there's there's. There's there's good fellas, but I think there's also there's also a lot of like, I think there's a lot of deer hunter in this movie. Sure. Um, well, yeah, sure, because of the uh, you know, PTSD and all that, you know, and the yeah, the, exactly. Chris Tucker's character with the Agent Orange and the heroin and everything. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I I gotta say, like you know, he the ma- the man's only done like a handful of movies, but like Chris Tucker is fucking great. Yeah, he's he good. is great in this movie, and like. Uh, Lorenz Tate is like, he's good, but like, he's not, I don't think he's where they needed him to be to really sell that character, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, Lorenz Tate's, uh, 
But I think that's he's, also like the right. That's not just him. It's the writing, too, mm-hmm. and like the the scenarios. Because like, obviously, in like you know, just about every Vietnam movie, like there's gonna be like I'm back in the in the states now, and nobody understands me. But like everyone was like going out of their way to like make um to like not understand and to not even try. Sure. Oh, like his parents so, and everything. Yeah, his parents. Yeah. Uh, the you know um the woman that he had had the kid with. Yeah, it's just heavy handed. Um, I mean, it's just it's really yeah, it's, you yeah. can tell they the, the the Hughes brothers have no subtlety within their mm. like repertoire at that point. I mean, not now either, but it's just like um. Yeah, it just feels like they're they're wearing their influences on their sleeves, and they don't really know mm, how to construct absolutely. a movie very well. And it has some interesting imagery and some decent performance. Like I like, um, I don't know who's the fucking the older guy, the bald guy Keith with no David. one leg. Yeah, Keith David's great in it. Oh yeah, and Chris Tucker's great in it. And uh, honestly, I like um, Terrence Howard. He's not in it very much, but I like his couple of scenes. I like how that resolves itself. How he's bullying him at the beginning when he's a kid. And he mm. comes back from Vietnam. It's it's that's honestly, if I was gonna say something positive about their screenwriting, I'd say that's a really like smart and easy way to get across how much the character has changed and how like you know like he's become a dangerous sort of loose cannon because of Nam. Mm. I thought uh, Michael Imperioli was horrible in it, even though I love Michael Imperioli. Um, he's, Who did he's, he play? He's the Italian guy in the. Uh, he's the one that they kill with morphine. In the uh, in Vietnam, oh right, his right. guts are hanging out and everything. He's yeah, he's in, yeah, he's in yeah. Sopranos. That's how I know him. But um, oh okay, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just like it's a it's a perfectly serviceable sort of almost. It's almost like an action movie, really. I mean, it's got a lot of action. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I mean, it's it's fun to watch every now and then. But yeah, I can't get over like there's certain things about it that I just really it really rubbed me the wrong way the last time I watched mm. it. Uh, Freddy Rodriguez is awful. Like his whole yeah. character is terrible. And yeah. um, shit like, and like that. So, yeah, and like the end where they're actually like you know doing the robbery, and uh, the sister like pops up out of the dumpster with you know guns blazing and yeah, like, double pistols. I mean, it's, yeah. it's shit like that. It's like I remember being a teenager and thinking that's really mm. cool, and then you watch it yeah, as an adult yeah. and you're just like, yeah, it's not. It's just lame. Like it just doesn't. It doesn't read as true. The rest of the film mm. is tr- is asking you to take it seriously, and now you've got her firing away with dual pistols in this like you know epic action sequence yeah when yeah. and it's it's almost as if they're asking you to feel bad about the violence that's being committed also and yet mm. it's being shot as if it were you know uh i don't even know like a lethal weapon movie or something you know yeah so, you're right yeah. well i i would put it more it's more like the execution scene in robocop where it's like so over the top yeah, the violence yeah. that like you can't take it seriously. Yeah, like when he empties though, his pistol like, into that guy who's laying on the ground and his blood sprays all over his face and stuff. I'm just like, yeah, that's supposed to affect us in like a negative. Like, oh my god, I can't believe he's so savage. But it's just like it. It's like bloodlust. Yeah. It's like when you're a kid, that's just exciting. You know, when I watched this movie for, for the, I mean, until I watched it the last time, I was just like, that shit rules. Yeah, but. It just doesn't, uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't work for me as well anymore. It's not mm. a bad movie. I don't want to. No, know. not at all. But It's very yeah, well it's... shot. It's beautiful looking. I, it deserves a Blu-ray. I'll say that. I mean, it's a very well mm. shot movie. And uh, so, I don't know. But, yeah. yeah. I, I, had the, I used to have the Criterion Laserdisc of Dead Presidents. And uh, a guy contacted me on eBay. Not on eBay, on Facebook. And asked me to, to buy it. 
I think I sold it to him for 30 which was mm. a profit for me. Grand? So, dollars. <laughs> settle, <laughs> settle down. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a time when, like, I say, I say a time like it, like it actually was a thing, but, like, there was, like, a week and a half where John was doing this, like, laser disc brokering thing. And, and I only like, sold. I sold. I sold. Uh, yeah. I sold my Criterion of Soy Cuba, ah, and right. I sold my Criterion of Dead Presidents. Yeah. And Jared's giving me the look, man. But you don't know what you're talking about, bud. Because Soy I Cuba, don't. Soy Cuba on Laserdisc is garbage. Because the fucking I've, the tracks are on top of each other. The audio tracks are on top of each other, and you can't fix it. So you're hearing never, Russian and Spanish at the same time. It's brutal. I've never seen a laser disc. I've never held a laser disc in my hand. I don't. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, you mm. don't. I didn't, I have, and I didn't talk about it. I just looked at you. So yeah, you I don't know what I'm look. looking at. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. All right. <laughs> the smoothie JR. sounds stupid. Oh well, you should so, check it out, man. It's on Hulu. <laughs> I won't. I'm just kidding. I probably will. Uh, but as payback, I think I'm going to do a uh, I'm going to do a scene by scene breakdown of the first two episodes of the new uh, Disney Plus Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe show, Wandavision. Oh, okay. does that sound good? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, huh. I, yeah, I can do that uh, if I wanted sure. to. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious what <laughs> Is you it good? guys think about that show. Like, not giving a fuck about Marvel, just like in the way that it is very purposefully um, being a well, 50s and 60s sitcom, respectively, and it's two episodes. I'm sure it's going to turn into normal superhero stuff, but right now it's it's a very weird show uh, that plays more like Bewitched. But, yeah, that's we- it's weird. But uh, I'm going to talk about Wolfwalkers now, which is another thing John mm. won't care about. Um, <laughs> Come on, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. I like movies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of this director Tom Moore who did uh, The Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea and this animation studio in general which has done these kind of Irish folklore tales and also um, like the Iranian I, I don't know if it was made it's it, an animated movie set in Iran called uh, The Breadwinner which is really cool mm. um, and they're just they're all beautiful like their animation style is just I love it this hand-drawn colorful thing is just it's working for me and um this one is about a british ruled irish town um trying to rid the nearby forest of wolves and uh the main character is the daughter of a british hunter who is brought in to hunt and kill the wolves and one day she follows her dad out you know secretly while he's going on a hunt and she gets into you know a bit of a pickle, but she is rescued by this uh, young girl who, like this feral girl, we find out is a wolf walker. So, like when she is awake, she's a human girl living in the woods amongst uh, wolves. And when she is asleep at night, she is, like her spirit physically manifests as a wolf. So she like lives half her life as a wolf, and uh, which is weird. I don't know. She doesn't actually sleep. That's a problem. I would think. Um, but yeah, and that's, that's it. We, we kind of have like this adventure where, uh, this, you know, British girl learns, um, about, you know, like the local history and the importance of, uh, these animals to the ecosystem and 
blah, blah, blah. And she decides she wants to protect the wolves, not hunt them. Um, and I, you know, I, I would say the story is kind of like by the numbers, you know, it's not surprising how the plot plays out, but, uh, the plot does incorporate a lot of things really successfully. I mean, this, like this does tell a great story about a childhood friendship. It tells, um, two different stories about, you know, a, a child's relationship to her parents. Um, we have a lot about like the brutalities of imperialism and colonization. And uh, I think a lot of these elements just really work. And uh, we get all this with some of the coolest animation I can recall. And um, what's cool about all of it? these, I mean, just, again, hand-drawn colors. Um, a lot of the like, motion is really cool. Like the way that, um, you know, the camera, like a better word, like moves through this world and uh, the way that is drawn okay. is really interesting. And um, there is a lot of very like intentional framing and split screen stuff and visual perspective that I th- just loved looking at. Nice. But yeah. I, I love uh, split screen. Big fan. Mm. Yeah. It's called Wolf Walker, right? Wolf Walkers, plural. Oh, okay. Plural. Get it right. Plural. Kevin. There's more. Th- there's more than one. Uh oh, spoiler. <sighs> it's it's the Wolf Walkers mom. It's not a spoiler. It's oh, okay. First, first um, person you see. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that sounds really good, Jr. And I will, uh, mm. you know, is that available to stream anywhere? Yeah, that's uh, that's Apple Plus. Oh, is it really? Ah. Yeah, I have, it's, I have they, that. I might watch. They that. bought it. It's Apple Plus original. Uh, well, I was um, I was watching a uh, video on YouTube about the greatest 2020 physical releases, Blu-rays, you know, and he mentioned one. I don't know who the guy is, some guy. I just came up randomly on my YouTube channel or my YouTube homepage, whatever. And uh, he was talking about the story of Temple Drake, which is a criterion film from 1933 or a criterion release of a film from 1933 directed by Stephen Roberts who apparently died three years later of a massive coronary so he didn't do much after this but he did direct you know like everybody involved in this movie they were in like a thousand movies in 1920 to from 1920 to 1935 you know like the literally there's one of the actors in here and he was in I think I counted 16 movies the year this movie came out so I mean, obviously, there's, like, the studio system. They're just, you know, bringing them from lot to lot, making them play all these characters. But um, the story of Temple Drake is a movie about a the this woman who's the daughter of a local judge in the South. And uh, she is I, – I got the impression she was something of a loose woman. I'm not sure that that was – 100% intended, but she sure is talking to a lot of different guys at the beginning of this movie. Anyways, she ends up going off with one of them, and they're driving through the country, and they get into a car accident, and they get taken in by bootleggers, because remember, this is 1933. And uh, the bootleggers let the guy go, but they want her to stay, you know, because they want to rape her. And uh, so the guy is, you know, he's meek, so he leaves. And uh, this character... This evil character, played by Jack LaRue. Sorry, I had to look at his name real quick. Jack LaRue, uh, he does, in fact, uh, uh, rape her. And he commits a murder, and they sort of, like, go on the run together. 
and it's uh it's just this really incredibly watchable beautifully shot noir film that has these incredible scenes where they are the Jack LaRue character who's essentially the villain of the piece is talking to the Temple Drake character and they're shooting them head on Jonathan Demme style and it is amazing and it's just like every bit as effective as when Demme does it you know and I I just get the impression he had to have seen this like that's had that has to be where that came from right I mean who who's doing that before this right it just looks amazing, and uh, I, had, I had a really good time with it. It's based on a Faulkner uh, novel, apparently, which I mm. have not read, called um, Sanctuary, which was apparently made into a film uh, two or three more times in the 40s and 50s. But, uh, yeah, this is good stuff. Check out the story of Temple Drake. I'm just waiting for that next sale so I can pick this bad boy up mm. at a discount. What'd you it, give it? I gave it a four and a half. I loved it. It's only oh, okay. it's seventy one minutes long. I mean, you gotta love that. How good is that yeah. runtime? <laughs> and yeah. you did not you did not watch this for your Criterion Challenge, right? No, I just like, watched it because not... that guy that guy said it was good, and I was like, I don't even know what this is, and I just went and looked at it, and I was like, it's seventy one minutes. I'll, I have time for that. I'll watch. <laughs> and it was and there's a uh, there's a rip of the Criterion on YouTube, and it looks great. So I just watched mm. it on YouTube, and it was uh, wonderful. Pre-code, man. I think I'm all in for pre-code. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on a pre-code deep dive. I was telling Jr. Yeah. I, bu- I bought. Um, I blind bought the uh, von Sternberg collection of his three s- silent classics. So mm. gonna bust into that pretty soon. We'll see. Right. Anyway, Kevin. <laughs> Uh, so I f- finally wrapped up the, uh, my Fincher list by rewatching, uh, Fight Club and Panic Room. Uh, I realized that my rating of Panic Room might be controversial, but I'm sorry. I was just bored to tears watching, watching it. And, uh, sorry. Uh, Fight you. Club, I think is, I think is still good. Uh, and I, w- I was surprised. Uh, I, I've seen it like a bajillion times, but like I read the book again last year and then I watched it. And like, I think like a very like the movie is like basically what happens in the book, but it's almost completely different, um, which is which is good. Like uh, like Polinick actually said that he likes seeing how other people will redo his stories you know the same way people like retell popular myths and stuff like that do you like but uh uh four out of five for me uh i don't think it's one of pollock's uh best i'm right now i'm kind of on the fence of like what is his best like uh Right off the top of my head, I want to say Make Something Up, the last short story collection that he put out. But before that, I would have said Invisible Monsters uh, or Rant. I, but, but I'm not, I'm not sure now. Yeah, I think I'm either Rant or Survivor. I've always liked mm. that one. But yeah, yeah, Rant's insane. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. 
How do you guys get so much Dead reading air. done? Uh, uh, <laughs> overdrive at work. I haven't read. No, you, I understand you reading. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. Logging ten movies a week and then watch and then reading books nonstop. Also on top well, of it, I don't read books nonstop. And and now, uh, now I I'm listening to most of the books that I'm reading. Uh, um, so you actually but, haven't read them. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've listened to the podcast version of these of a lot of books. I know. I worry. Actually, yeah. I think about that. That bothers me because I've thought about listening to books myself, but then I think like. Then what do I tell people like that? I've read that book. I haven't read that book. You, I've this, heard somebody read it. It's weird. It's like a weird gray area. I'm uncomfortable with. Did you take nothing from our from our grad school program? Um, you know, <laughs> we're still like we're still processing the information. Um, you know, it is, and this is. No, I, I'm not going to get into it, but uh, I find that I retain less when I listen to a book. Um, mm. so there are some things that I will force myself to read. Like I, I just read a Brandon Sanderson book over the course of a month, you know, reading like 50 pages or so a day. Um, just cause like I knew I wanted to sit down and read it, even though it took me a fucking month. Um, see, I like, okay. I, I have a real problem also starting books and getting really far into them and then not reading mm. them anymore for some reason. And it's not because I'm not interested. I just, like, I end up doing other things. And, for instance, like, today I got on this kick where I was reading, like, I read a lot of Wikipedia sometimes at school. And mm. uh, I was reading about the Mercenary War, which is, a, like, an actual event that happened where Carthage, these these uh, mercenaries at Carthage had hired, like, rebelled, and they had a war and lasted, like, three years. And Hannibal's father was the general for Carthage. And I was reading this whole Wikipedia page, but I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is, like, really interesting. I'm surprised this hasn't been, like, dramatized somewhere. And I'm reading about it, and Gustave Flaubert wrote a novel about it called Salambo. So I'm like... Oh, I should check that out. You know, I've never read any Flaubert. And I read the mm. entire first chapter of this book because, of course, you know, it's like from like 1840 or something. So it's on it's on, uh, it's on Google for free. So I read the first chapter and the first chapter is amazing. And I'm just like, I, I, I think I'm going to read this book. But I just know I'm going to get five chapters into it. And I'm never going to look at it again. And I, and then I, and it's just uh, like I don't have the – I don't know. There's something like in me that doesn't compel me to continue. Like I've, I've read uh, the first – you know how Dune is separated into three books? In the first yeah. book, I've read the first book of Dune twice now. Like I can't get through it. I just like I just stopped. I don't know. I can't. I don't know what's what it is. But you have you have a pretty significant commute to to work, right? Uh, yeah. Well, it's like yeah, like forty minutes. Yeah. Dude, get the yeah. <laughs> I was get the fancy ass audible version of Dune and listen yeah. to like when you're driving, you can't go anywhere, and I that's like the best time i think for listening to an audio force yourself force yourself yeah mm. <laughs> yeah that's well, a good it, point yeah 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 and, and i mean you know like uh like nowadays uh like we have uh we have these things called playaways which are basically it's one book on a dedicated mp3 player oh um but you know you could get that you could get something but from the overdrive Audible overdrive or, has or, uh, or, audiobooks yeah right overdrive yeah. so i think i rented yeah exactly i tried to listen to the I still uh, from the batner's overdrive what's that in fact jr's read this as, so as as you should actually 
JR has read this book. Uh, what's the the sci fi book know? that came out last year? How do you know what I've it's read? On, it's on your Goodreads. Uh, I'm looking at my Goodreads. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I follow you on Goodreads. Uh, um, I made it a goal this year to, like, when I am doing an audiobook, actually switch it to that version of the book. Nice. Nice. So what's that, the sci fi book that came out last year that was, like, a big deal? Is political. Really political. And it's, uh, like, about space. Mem- Memory of Empire? Yes. I, I got. I went to that book. Yeah, I rented that book uh, because Dayton was telling me about how good it was, and I listened to the first chapter of it on audiobook. But I had the same issue, like you were saying, like I didn't, re- I wasn't retaining any. I was like, I was like, I don't know who these characters are. I don't, I'm not going to remember any of this mm. when I get to the next chapter. And I was just, I don't know. It seems that's like more one, too complicated of a book to to listen to. Maybe <laughs> that's one that I did. I, I physically read that one. I read right, right. every year. I read. Every book nominated for the Hugo and every book nominated for the Nebula. <laughs> of course you do. I just like sci-fi. No, that's your right. whole that's that's coming out of your obsession, your OCD about the Oscars and shit like that though too, right? Like you have to see everything, you know, before the before the award is handed out so that you have an, an accurate sort but, of uh gauge about what you believe, who's been robbed and so forth. <laughs> no, I don't really follow <laughs> the awards themselves, but I like New sci-fi. But you have the list where you've seen every you've seen everything that's been nominated. Oh, but this but this isn't like movies that's where like, like I don't have an encyclopedia knowledge of all these books. Like I always just want new sci-fi books, and okay. this is how I get them because mm. none of the people around me read sci-fi. Oh yeah. Oh. And like in this this you know I never would have heard of N.K. Jemison and uh, the Broken Earth trilogy mm. if not for the Hugos, and I read those books and I love them and I bought some more of her books that I'll never read because I bought them and that means I won't read them. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know, and cause you and, have them now. Yeah, so and now she's no, writing no. A, a green lantern series. So I downloaded that. Like it, she's awesome. Ugh, green lantern. Ugh. Yeah. Never really been a fan of green lantern, yeah. but I'm going to try it. Uh, it's like a uh, Mobius. I'm a big fan of, you know, the artist Mobius and he did a, um, he did a, a Silver Surfer run in the '90s with um, with Stanley. Stanley wrote it, and he he mm. drew it. And it's like I had to force myself to read it because <laughs> it's like I don't I don't I don't I'm not interested at all in Silver Surfer. But it's like it, Mobius drew it. I have to look at it. So <laughs> yeah, Kevin, what, what movie were you talking about? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, uh, Fight Club. <laughs> but but I did. Uh, did I tell you that I saw Samuel R. Delaney at? Uh, the main branch, no. like two years ago. No, that wasn't two yeah. years ago. That was last year, wasn't it? No, like during quarantine. That was 2019. Are you sure? No, that was 2019. Oh, it was 2019. Feels like it feels like, like that was three months ago. I swear to God, I yeah, remember I, I missed <laughs> it because I was super pissed because I missed it. Right, like it, yeah, and like I, but yeah, it was 2019 because like uh, Sharon and I had just started dating at that point, oh. so. Yeah, uh, I was I was I was nice. like halfway through. Um, I mean, that's that's being generous. I was a third of the way through uh, Dahlgren whenever that happened, and, and then I you never really, finished mm. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I stopped. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I I would I would personally say like, yet yeah, granted, I have a little more time because like at the Cirque desk these days, like we don't get a lot of foot traffic, except to say the computers are back that way. Uh, <laughs> 
but yeah, like, uh, so yeah, I granted I have a little bit more time, but like when I'm home, I try, you know, it's like the same thing with the movies. Like I have to budget my time. So it's like, okay, tonight I'm going to read a little bit tonight. I'm going to watch a movie. Um, you know, just right. I just, you know what it is is try. You know? I have so many movies in my backlog of th- shit that I want to watch, though, and then I always think yeah, like, yeah. if I'm like, I might sit here and, and spend three hours reading a book and not even like make a dent in it because I mean, you know, it's a book. <laughs> are you are you only reading these giant eighteen forties tomes? What? No, it's not. No, that I, I mean, mean that I know book, Dahlgren's big, but that Dahlgren is really big. Flo, Flaubert, the Flaubert book, Salambo is only two hundred pages, but. Um, no, I mean, mm. but it's like, you know, it's like if I'm reading and then it's just, and then I think about like having, like reading too many books at once and like not getting as much out of them because I'm in the middle of like six books at once. Right. Like, uh, mm. you, you know, like at one point that. I know, <laughs> well, but it's like, but then I get bored. I'm like, I don't want to check out this other, like I'll not even get bored. I'll just, I'll start reading about something and I'll be like, oh man, I got to read this fucking book. This looks, sounds great. And then I start reading it and I lose interest in the other one. You know, at one point during my first, during last year, last school year, I was in, I was reading uh, Butcher's Crossing, Dune, and uh, Brett Easton Ellis' first novel, Lesson Zero, which I actually did finish. <laughs> but um, mm. I was reading all three of them at once, like taking turns with them. And it was brutal. I, I was like, I can't do this. This is not right. I, I feel like I'm like, well, I'm welcome, disrespecting well, people. Welcome to the librarian life. Right. It was just Yeah, like I, I like right now I'm reading the final program by Michael Moorcock. Like that's my overdrive book that I read at work. I have uh well, I have like three. Like I'm in the middle of I'm thinking of ending things. Uh I oh, read nice. like the first couple of pages of Anthony Bourdain's comic Get Jiro. And I haven't started it, but like I'm working my way through the Dresden files right now. So I'm about to start book five. And you know it's just they're just there, and I'll I'll get to them eventually, and I will finish them eventually. I read the, uh, uh, but I I'm already like a really really slow reader, so, um, yeah. So I I just accept that it's going to take a while. I read the book version of the f- versions of the first fifteen Dresden Files, and then switched to the audio oh. for the the latest two just because i could get those from the library sooner and that was a mistake Mm -hmm. just oh you know it's like i didn't have time everyone that's been listening to the audiobook has gotten used to james marsters or whatever and i have not yeah guy from buffy yeah anyway we've been talking about books for a long time on film yak yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. sorry that's my that's sort of my start another podcast yeah (laughs) You guys should start it, but you guys should start your own book-only podcast. I'm sure there's not enough of those out there. Anyways, Fincher, Fight Club, Palinuk. Let's stay off of Palinuk, but, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, so, yeah. Um, the game, number one for Fincher, for me. Then uh, Zodiac, then Dragon Tattoo, and on, on down you go. You can see my uh, list on Letterboxd. Kevin Quizboy. Nice. Nice. Jur? I think I'm going to I'm going to wrap up. I you know cuz we already talked a little bit about um the 20th century at the beginning of the show um which is 
a Canadian movie that does resemble Guy Madden movies, um, but just highly recommend. It's more colorful than most Madden movies, and um, there's a lot of 80s vibe in it also. But uh, for for the Criterion Challenge, am I losing my words? But the Criterion Challenge, I watched uh, Kurosawa's Redbeard, which I hadn't seen mm-hmm. in a very long time, and... Um, it's, it's just a, a near perfect movie. It's, uh, it is Kurosawa at his most life affirming, you know, kind of, kind of in the, the Ikiru vein. How do you guys say that? Ikiru? Ikiru? Yeah. Ikiru. I say, Ikiru, is it Ikiru? I say Ikiru, Ikiru, I don't know. Who fucking cares? I don't know. I don't like Ikiru. I don't speak Japanese. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, um. This is a three-hour epic about like this bratty hotshot, you know, new doctor just done with his uh, training, who shows up in a small town, basically like a dump of a town, like a nowhere place, um, you know, for his first position as a as a doctor, and he was hoping that he would be sent to you know some rich person's estate and just you know care for the rich family, not to do anything else. Uh, so he shows up to this place with a shitty attitude and, uh, Toshiro Mifune is kind of the, the cranky wizened, uh, boss of this outpost doctor, the, uh, the, not the boss of the town, uh, just of the, like the hospital working hospital. And, uh, it's his job to be a mentor to this, uh, young asshole doctor and, uh, you know, our conflict for the first hour and a half is just them kind of butting heads. And uh, it works because Toshiro Mifune is fucking awesome. He's great. And it's a shame that uh, this movie took so long to make and Toshiro got uh, mm. sick of working with Akira Kurosawa while doing this movie. And they never worked together again because the, the performance is awesome. Um and, you know, this movie probably doesn't need to be three hours because no movie needs to be three hours. It probably could have cut 25 minutes. But uh, the way that this plays out with, you know, our protagonist, young protagonist, warming up to his job here, starting to get to know the people of this town, caring about them and getting better as a doctor, as he needs less and less mentoring, we see less and less of Toshiro. And uh, the way that they kind of ease him out of the movie i think is really gracefully done um you know this is a movie that basically takes away like its main source of conflict halfway through and uh it just still totally works um you know this isn't a samurai movie though it does take place in feudal japan but uh this is like a it's a great example of why akira kurosawa was so good uh just it's not just like, you know, his awesome shots or whatever, the look of the movie, but uh, just the way he just like bends structure to his will is uh, is pretty awesome. And I moved this up to uh, to number two on my Kurosawa list. Whoa. Behind, What's behind what? Seven Samurai still just, right. I know that's, uh, that's the chalk answer there, but I do love it. Uh... Okay, I uh, I have two left that I want to talk about. 
Um, I, I watched uh, Yojimbo, so and I, my, that was my Kurosawa uh, for the Criterion Challenge, which I've never seen, and uh, you know, seen lots of films based on Yojimbo, but haven't seen the the real McCoy. And I liked it. I wasn't blown away by it, although I understand why people have been blown away by it and uh, have enjoyed it maybe more than I did. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, of course, like extremely well shot and well directed and everything. But the story in it, I guess I was just expecting it to be a little bit more, um, there to be more just killer sword action and uh <laughs> there's really not that much in it you know it's just not that much. i like there's like the scene at like towards the end you know that you've got the 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 one gang is still around they've burned every all the the other gangs hide out out and they've killed everybody and now it's time for yojimbo to go to work you know or whatever his name is sanjuro he's time for him to go to work and uh he takes him out in like four seconds <laughs> Which is, you know, it's cool, but it's like I really wanted there to be like a more of a, uh, you know, almost like a, I was, I don't know why, I, I know why I was expecting this. I was expecting it to end sort of like High Noon or um, or like an Eastwood film where, you know, where he's taking them out one at a time or something throughout the town, you know, because of, probably because of how Westerns have sort of uh, taken Kurosawa's work and uh, redone it, but I don't know. It was all right. I'm not sorry I watched it at all. And uh, I'm still not a fan of his wipes. He likes to use wipes in his films. It's just, <laughs> it does not look good to me. It's nasty looking. I mean, that's... Uh, he is to blame for Lucas. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I mean, but honestly, I, the wipes make sense in Star Wars to me. And it's probably just because I saw them first, but... They look like it, it feels like a child thing. It feels like something that should happen like a child's film. This silly white. It's, it really bothers me in Throne of Blood. Like, it drags Throne of Blood down for me, some of the editing. It's just like, I, it makes it's It's such a serious film, and then all of a sudden there's just this goofy wipe across the screen to change scenes. I'm not into it. Um, anyways, um, and then I also rewatched uh, People Who Do Noise which is a documentary about noise musicians from 2008, which I had watched probably close to when it first came out. It's directed by Adam Cornelius. And uh, it's a good documentary. It's it's really bare bones. It's made on like, it's like shot on like an SD, you know, like a standard def uh, video camera from the time, like a handy cam. But it's interviewing and in, uh, all these different noise musicians from Portland, Oregon. And showcasing their performance in this uh back room of some place i don't even know it's just there's this random room and they have this pa set up and they let them all perform and they're all explaining kind of why they make the music that they make which is i mean i don't know if our our audience is familiar with what noise music is but it's not really music in the conventional sense it's uh it's noise it's feedback and looping and um contact microphones and things like this but uh but yeah i I just really enjoy it it's a lot of fun to watch and it's fun to see the different like viewpoints of the musicians because some of them are fully aware of how sort of silly it is (laughs) like what they're doing you know they'll be like it's just like it's ridiculous 
but it's a lot of fun to do and that's why I do it. And then other ones or other people are trying to like have more be more high minded about it and saying it's, you know, it's a deconstruction of, you know, music and it's beautiful and all in its own way and all this kind of stuff. And um I appreciate both viewpoints. I like both of them. I, I agree with parts of both of them. And uh I just really enjoy this this little this little eighty minute picture about no people who do mm. noise. So Good cool. stuff. Kevin, you got another one? Uh, yeah, I'll just go through two real quick. Uh, watched uh, Guns Akimbo with Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, Interesting. Fun, uh, pretty dumb, but enjoyable. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is this guy. He like he gets kidnapped by these people who like pit people in fights to the death that other people can see online and so he's got to like he's got to survive he's got to save his girlfriend he's got to do a bunch of things and it's fine um you know when i was like 15 this would i would have been you know like just out of my mind like this is the greatest thing ever in the history of the world but now it's a three um and i also rewatched hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy which was very enjoyable but also kind of dumb because they introduce this romance plot in it and it doesn't need that. Like it's like the parts where it's being like very like, you know, charmingly British and humorous, that's that stuff's all great. But the romance part is just nah. So yeah. Yeah, I saw the I saw it in the theater. I don't remember anything about it. Mm. But uh Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's move right into our uh, our deep dive, which is my pick, mm. Greaser's Palace, directed by Robert Downey Sr. from 1972, and uh, starring nobody of any consequence. What uh, what did you guys think of Greaser's Palace? I guess I should say what it's about. It's about. Uh, <laughs> It's a it's a it's parable a, of the life of Christ, right? That's what that's what the <laughs> sure. uh, the IMDb that's what every description is. says. It's a story yeah. about a town in the old west where this man seaweed head greaser lives, and he sort of runs the town with an iron fist, sort of, mm. sort of. And he, uh, well, I mean, he does murder people just you know willy nilly, and yeah. uh, it locks up his family and. Other people, sure, yeah. The uh, yeah. the the Hispanic musicians, uh, <laughs> and his mother. He uses, he uses he, to torture people also, and uh, and he's having uh, he's having some bowel issues also throughout the film. Mm. And anyways, Alan Arbus shows up, who plays uh, Jesse. He parachutes into town because <laughs> he's on his way to <laughs> yeah. Jerusalem to be a, a singer, dancer, actor. And uh, he just blows them away with his uh, his dancing and uh, singing abilities. And stigmata. Mm. And his stigmata. And on the periphery of the story, sort of seemingly unrelated almost, there's a story of a family who's being murdered one by one by God. <laughs> God the Father mm. is shooting them. <laughs> JR loved this thing. We should <laughs> mention that... Uh, the the guy who parachutes into town, Alan Arbus, uh, he has the power to heal and bring oh, people right. back to yeah. life. Uh, because he is Jesus, yeah. right. Greaser has been uh, just 
offhandedly murdering his homosexual son, and uh, Alan Arbus keeps bringing him back. And every time he does, this shithead says, um, "If you uh, feel, you heal." No, right? no. Well, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of what the, <laughs> thinking of what Lamy the son says. Uh, oh, he says he floating uh, in a sea of babies. They were naked, and then I changed into a perfect smile. <laughs> A rainbow of babies. Oh, okay, there we go. Right. Mm. I didn't write that one down. I uh, changed into a perfect smile. <laughs> yeah, is he I gay? Was... I didn't get that. Is he gay? Did I uh, miss that? According is to he? the Wikipedia, he's gay. But that's oh, okay. and and that's. I don't know. I, I think it's in, it's inferred with with how his father you know keeps telling him like to behave. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't know. That was a Wikipedia thing, though. Sorry. That's okay. What did you guys think of uh, Greaser's Palace? I didn't know you could take uh, El Topo and Blazing Saddles and put them together to make a movie. Yeah. Well, you got to leave, leave it up to Robert Downey Sr. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I got to be honest. I really didn't enjoy it. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say that it's, I wouldn't say that it's like blatantly horrible, but like, uh, I, 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 I there was just so much, so much yelling and screaming, seemingly for no reason. Uh, and right off the bat, with that woman singing so out of tune, I was like, "God, this is horrible!" Somebody, please make this end. Uh, and then, like you know, pretty quickly, I I decided to not follow the plot, just you know, watch <laughs> it and let 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 it go, let it go over me. Uh. I thought it was kind of entertaining how, like, the Holy Ghost shows up <laughs> and, like, uh, but nobody really notices and nobody really cares. and nobody see him, right? Yeah, and, like, uh, and, yeah, and, and he's, like, very, like, self-aware, like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even know what I am. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um... Uh, Jr. You I, go ahead. <laughs> I think this was like a, a it's a hardcore wavelength movie. Um, you really got to to get on it, or you're fucked. And, uh, and I think it was it was clear pretty early that I was fucked. Um, and it, I, I don't think I mind the kind of like oblique half followed like Christ parable, but I, I really did enjoy the like intentional, like non comedy of this movie. Like it Mm. definitely feels like a comedy where every joke is purposely written to not be funny. (laughs) And, and I didn't, I didn't like it. Um, you you know, (laughs) even with like, you guys remember like Vernon or, or Wernon, I, he said his name really funny. Uh, one okay. of the henchmen for uh, for the guy Greaser, with the mustache. I, I don't know. He's the one that is like the funniest part of the movie was him. He was, he's licking his lips whenever he get the other guy gets stabbed. <laughs> I think I think, he, but I mean, he's the smoke signal guy. He's the guy that keeps talking about having oh, sex with yeah. the the woman, the yeah, German yeah, yeah. woman. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's him. And the funniest thing in the movie was him <laughs> reciting um, what. This woman told him the letter in, in one smoke signal. Yeah, the prettiest <laughs> smoke signal he ever did see. And but like I thought that was really funny. But then the next time we see him, it's like the next day, and he's telling Greaser 
uh, who just is like not reacting, right? Like this guy just tells Greaser about his, his sexcapades. Greaser does not acknowledge. Uh, and he just like where he, I wrote it down. Uh, yeah. He was like, it starts with, and I was, I got my nose all up in her cunny. And uh, he just like goes on this ridiculous uh, recitation of, of what happened. And, and I was just like, I'm not, I'm not with you. And, <laughs> and, you know, like, and just all the things happening around Greaser, I just find were not funny. Like the, uh, like the court jester, like doing the, uh, the wrong card as they're doing like this really long mm. walk, uh, you know, like a, an Aaron that, Sorkin I mean, walk and talk. Yeah, but, but that's not so much like, I mean, not to, not to get into defending this too hard. I did, uh, you know, I did like it, but not probably not as much as I thought I was going to. Uh, but um, that whole scene struck me like the thing with the magician that struck me as uh, absurdist as opposed to like it's actually trying to be funny. Like it's just trying well, to be. It was almost like a Herzogian kind of thing, right? The way the way that Greaser is reacting to that no, by saying by, no, he doesn't get upset no, about it at all. You know what I mean? It no. seems like in another like if his if his son had been doing that, he would have lost control and stabbed him to death. Yes. Well, and right. that, that's all. So, like, what I wrote down is like the dialogue is, is just built on like non sequiturs, right? Like, people are just like saying things. Other people are not responding to those things. Like, everyone's having uh, a one sided conversation in this movie, and it it is like this sort of like straight faced uh, absurdity throughout the whole the whole thing. Um, and it it is similar, as Kevin said, I thought to to El Topo. Uh, which I also rewatched recently and and didn't like nearly as much as I as I thought I did. Uh, it turns out like this brand of, of acid western might not be for me. Well, I also rewatched El Topo because I received uh, the Jodorowsky Blu-ray set for Christmas from my my dad, and because uh, he doesn't know, he just he's like, "What do you want?" And I wrote it down for him, and he got it. He doesn't know what he's getting for me. I don't think he would have gotten <laughs> for me if he had known anything about Jodorowsky, but um. I liked El Topo quite a bit. I think it went up for me actually uh, on this rewatch. But I mean, not to get into El Topo, but like there, just like the all of the. That's one thing that like El Topo is a better film than this. And for me, yes. the reason the reason why that is mainly for me is that I think it works better as its parable than this does. I think it's less absurd than this movie, and therefore uh, more narratively strong, narratively stronger. I wrote a review for this film apparently when I logged it the first time, and I, yeah. I wrote that. Uh, I wrote. Th- Did you read it? Yeah, about uh, Alan Arbus and Mash. Yeah, I actually rewatched that episode too um, a couple of days ago after I watched this, and because uh, all the Mash episodes are on Hulu, it's a great episode. The guy thinks he's Jesus, and uh, F- Doctor Friedman has to uh, cure him, but. Uh, <laughs> It's uh yeah I mean I feel I guess I feel sort of similarly to how I felt in that review I mean it just uh except it didn't remind me nearly as much about that episode this time because I was aware of that going in but I just enjoy it as a completely surreal bizarre sort of like I say a less violent El Topo sort of uh play I mean he's obviously influenced by El Topo when he's making this that's undeniable and I and I think that it doesn't Again, the narrative is weaker because it doesn't really go anywhere. You know, I mean this this idea of it being a parable of Christ's life. I don't really see that. I could I see 
I see Jesse as being analogous to Christ, but I don't see it being about Christ's life really it, it's, at all. I yeah, I I wish that wasn't in the synopsis on Letterboxd and IMDb and Wikipedia and everywhere. Uh, but it's also like hard. Yeah, because it's obviously like copied and pasted like one <laughs> yeah, to sure. the other. Yes. But it's it's hard. But I with think the that's probably that's probably like marketing. Like they, oh, there's some Jesus stuff in this, so obviously it's about the life of Christ. Well, I mean, the ending, kind of. <clears throat> the The ending does the crucifixion thing, which makes it hard to like say it's it's not right. But uh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. What Well, again though, he well, I, he is Jesus. I mean, it's, it's it's not I don't think it's debatable that he's analogous to Jesus, right? I mean, he's he's obviously supposed to be Jesus water, and the Holy Ghost the and yeah, and the and the Holy Ghost yeah. is his brother and they call they call God the Father dad, you know. So I mean, I think that that's pretty obvious. I just I I I mm. I would I take issue with the idea that it's about his like Christ's life or it's somehow analogous to the gospels. So right. it has none of that in it. Yeah. Right? I think that El Topo has more of that kind of stuff in it. What with the, mm. I mean, biblical imagery, like uh, when he fire, he shoots the rock and the water pours out of it and things like that, which fucking mm. rules. I love that shit. <laughs> so into it. Yeah, I think the big problem is the, like the, the word parable, like you're supposed to be getting something from it about, you know, about, you know, whatever it's a parable of. Right. You know, but, but like, it, you know. It, it, it's obvious that, like, you know, yeah, there, it's just an absurdist, uh, you know, surreal, like, sort of, like, re- uh, retelling is probably a better mm. better word, but even that's, like, not completely accurate. It's as if they're so, just transposing the, the idea of the Christ mm. figure onto a different character. That's I mean, that's why I look at it. It's got nothing yeah, to do yeah. with, you know, like, it's... It's not like like Boonwell did the Milky Way, which is that like that's more of a that's when you say that description of like it's a parable based on the life of Christ, but it's surreal. Mm. It, that sounds like the Milky Way to me more than more than this. <clears throat> but um, I wanted to say real quick about the uh, about wh- how we watch this. It's on Prime and it looks mm. horrible. Yeah, like, it looks like a VHS transfer. You can barely read the, sure. the credits at the beginning. I could not read the credits at all. Yeah, it's I, like scribbles. Well, that's because you yeah. don't like reading. You don't know how to read books. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. Good callback. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it looks absolutely terrible. And I almost uh, yeah. I almost just went ahead and bought it on Blu-ray. But like, it's just so expensive on Blu-ray. It's like twenty six dollars. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I got a lot of would, other ones I want to get first. Would uh, can I ask a question? Would yes. would I have found this more interesting if if Jesse had been more interesting? Like by making him like the amnesiac who's like asking what he is, like you're kind of making him a blank slate. And I just I don't know. Sure. He, he could have been more interesting, and maybe I, I would have cared more. No, I agree. I think it should have been more focused on his character and maybe less on on Greaser because I mean it feels like. Greaser's obviously like sort of just an archetypical like like a villain character. I mean, mm. obviously like an absurd villain character, but he doesn't really say much. And then you introduce the hero of the film, uh, assuming assuming you know Jesse is the hero of the film, and he doesn't say much either, except for what's going on here. Like he's just asking everybody what's going on. And uh, yeah, mm. you kind of I agree with you. You kind of get nowhere with the whatever semblance of a plot there is to this film but yeah because like you've got like they're coming in to like pay their taxes to greaser which would be like which would sort of make him herod 
But, like, you know, Herod's only in, like, a little bit of the Christ story, so... Right. And, uh, he's at the yeah, beginning of it, I, too. I thought, like... You know? So it, I thought, like, with with the magician thing that he had going on and with the, uh, like, I thought the Indians might have been, like, uh, the Pharisees. But, like, no, like, they're, they're, like, he heals one of, like, their shaman, and then it's all good from there. So yeah, I don't think it holds as a one-to-one sort of. No, definitely But uh, not. did you guys realize that the, the topless Indian girl is Tony Basil? I did. Only because yeah, I, I, I Yeah, it's crazy. Same. You looked up who the topless Indian girl you are? No, like, I oh, just. Man, she's hot. I got to look that shit up. I was actually looking at the <laughs> f- the first six people on Letterboxd, and she's one of them. Me too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, I wrote. Oh, oh I, I, I. This is not a hundred percent to do with the film, but this is our ninth western that we've deep dived. We love westerns so, on Filmiac. I mean, we've each chosen three. <laughs> wow. Actually, that that's not accurate though. As far as I could tell, actually, Jr's chosen four. What? Yeah, I don't and even I like think... westerns. I'm just kidding. I do. No, no, no. Maybe, do. You, maybe you chose three. No, that's what it was. I'm sorry. I take it back. You chose three, Jr. I've chosen three. Kevin's only chosen two. But there was an episode where we did Ballad of Buster Shrugs, which I don't think was chosen by anyone. It was just mm. the movie that was coming out that week. So we talked. Yeah, about it. yeah. So yeah, done a lot of westerns, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I was just thought it was interesting. All right, maybe I'll mm. change my pick for next week. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do I wasn't going to do back-to-back westerns. Oh, the, um, I liked the uh, the score mostly. There were parts of it I didn't like that were a little too 70s. And El Topo has that problem, too. But um, Jack Nietzsche did the score. He, he did the score for uh, Hardcore also, which is an amazing early synth score. And uh, I love the way that this movie—not to get to—not to just jump to the ending, but I love the way the movie ends with the sunset and the noise, sort of like the noise scape. <laughs> That—that's a—that's a great way to end this. This sort of incomprehensible, you know, surrealist. I mean, I'll say it, it's a mess, but I—it's <laughs> but I but I enjoy it as that, you know. Mm. Also, yeah. I was going to say, um, is this the first example of the walking on water gag? It can't be, right? Like they had to have done that in like a Marx Brothers movie or something, right? Mm. You're probably yeah. Know. Somebody must have done it before this because I after, I, I watch because uh, he walks on water at the end of Popeye also, mm. and in being there, of course, the famous. You know, scene where he walks on water. So, there's a lot of examples of it after this, but um, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I don't know what to tell you guys. Oh, right. I, there, speaking of Mash, uh, the guy who plays the character that Jr. thinks is uh, not funny because he tells stories about sex. Um, <laughs> that guy is the original Father Mulcahy in the pilot episode of Mash. Ah. So, just another connection to Mash. Weirdly. And he's also the star of Chafed Elbows, which is an earlier uh, Robert Downey Sr. film. Did Robert Downey Sr. work on MASH? I don't think so. <laughs> That'd be surprising. He had a weird career, mm. actually. I was reading about, I was looking at his IMDb, and he had he had some, like, bigger, like, you know, like, big budget sort of studio films in the 80s and stuff. I guess just, like, failed mm. miserably, and so he stopped making movies at around 05. And he's really I, old and everything too. So, uh, so I didn't realize like, you know, 
you told us that this movie starred Alan Arbus, whom I didn't know, but that name sounded familiar, and I realized it's because I do know Diane Arbus. Oh, right, And, yeah, and yeah. I've seen that Diane Arbus movie with Robert Downey, Jun- Downey Jr. That's crazy, because I didn't even realize uh-huh. he was married to... I might have read that before, but I didn't remember that at all, that he was married to her. Mm. But, uh... And supposedly I've never seen that he, Diane Arbus movie. Supposedly, Alan, like, started acting, you know almost middle-aged after like the dissolution of his marriage oh wow is he in the movie the diane arbus movie i don't like a character based on him oh that movie's not good and i haven't seen it since it came out what do you guys think of uh herve villachez in there as the sort of gay uh midget i was waiting for him to show up because i saw that he was in it and then it was like just Wow, that's really annoying. Please stop. Because I mean, I was watching. I was watching this at like midnight last night. Yeah. So I was like really tired. That's the perfect um, way to watch one of my deep dives. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, you, you do it when you can. You Just know, get really tired, like almost drunk on tiredness, and then watch my movie. Uh, well, I was going to say this though. That, Your movie. Well, I mean, the movie that I picked. Um, you know. I was reminded also uh, of this book right here that I that I, I read a long time ago. I'm thinking about rereading it. Have you ever read this book? It's called Dead Man. It's no. about Dead Man. It's about a dead man and you know the history of the acid western. It's by Jonathan, Rose, Jonathan Rosenbaum. And um, I do like it's, him. It's really good. It's 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 like 50 pages long. I mean, it's really easy to read. It's just a big long essay. But he mentions, uh, of course, you know, Greaser's Palace and uh, El Topo and all these other and uh, Rudy Wurlitzer and. So on and so forth, but um, I was going to say like there, the, there's a lot of common threads obviously between this and 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 the other acid westerns that exist. But one thing that I was thinking about was the the idea of like men in drag in the old west, mm. and almost like becoming female females, almost as if it's like a prison setting. Like there aren't females, so one of the men has to become the female. And it's it's in this, and it's in um, Dead Man. You know the the Iggy Pop characters in a dress, and he's he's cooking for them. And then I was also thinking about it in terms of um, even in a movie that's not like this at all, like First Cow, at the beginning of First Cow, Cookie is the sort of female of their group, and he's threatened by them, and he's effeminate sort of, and he's cooking for them and all this kind of – and it's just like a weird kind of through line of these types of films that uh, I feel like is not I – don't, I don't know what it is. Like I don't understand 100% mm. what it means. <laughs> you know like what like why that is that way that doesn't go away in first cow i mean he you know he also like once he starts cooking like you see him at uh, the other guy's shack like he tidies up he sweeps up and stuff oh, right like, he that's takes right on yeah. more domestic roles that's right god that's right fuck i forgot about that kelly reichard mentioned that in an interview too him sweeping up like that they had that idea i think on the set for him to do that but uh but yeah so i don't know just an interesting sort of observation that's got nothing to do with anything but uh that's uh pretty much all my notes mm. uh i mean did the did the last second meeting up with elizabeth downey who's been murdered over and over again and his crucifixion work for you or or for you kevin I love the idea uh, of uh, I love the idea of I like two things about the Elizabeth Downey uh, and I, I, the the kid is Robert Downey Jr. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. I love yeah. I love two things about that. One is I like that it's sort of a completely separate narrative that's happening independently of anything else and that you don't really know what's going on. I find that very intriguing. And the way that it's rounded up, this this is more of a small thing, but the the idea that God the Father is shooting these people with a with like nothing like he's just aiming aiming as if he's holding a gun and then he when he fires smoke like just appears that was good i like that a lot i think that that's a really cool idea um but again it you know completely like i guess there's any number of ways you could read that i don't know what it means like i'm not sure it means anything honestly Hmm. except maybe you know commenting on the cruelty the cruel nature of god or something but like i don't you know <laughs> yeah but uh but yeah yeah i mean i i thought the crucifixion was a little too on the nose uh cuz it's like you know if you were in doubt before like you sure know now he's christ and i uh, i didn't hate it but i didn't like it either <laughs> that's okay all right well uh yeah. let's do some ratings I'm going three and a half. It's the same score I gave it ten years ago or whatever when I watched it. Mm. I give it a two. Oh. Same. Oh. That hurts. Hopefully you guys lose this uh, this game of movie really hard. <laughs> I don't know. And have to watch something horrible. Maybe I should have like. Mm. Well, I know now that I just I should have eaten two two edibles and just kind of like <laughs> let it let it roll you know they're legal there man you should be taking advantage i know yeah you should have gotten them on doordash <laughs> right, uh... so i'm gonna roll the dice you guys ready all right uh let's see i gotta get my dice app open here we go i'm gonna show you guys on the camera so you know i'm not fucking around okay here we go five, five. It's Tony Basil. Has she been in stuff? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's been in a lot of stuff. Oh, oh my. Right. Oh, this is going to be good. Okay. <laughs> Tony Basil is an <laughs> easy rider, for God's sake. I had no idea. Yeah. And like I remembered her from Five Easy Pieces. I just watched Five Easy Pieces and Head in the last six months. So. <laughs> right. I pasted uh, <laughs> through that one. Well. Mm. Uh, we're all, all going to have seen uh, the same amount. I don't know about that. I don't think so. Y'all have seen more than I have. I know. Do you, are, let me ask you this, Jr. Do you think the amount is five? I do. Okay, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is, is so? You've seen five. I've seen five. Kevin. <laughs> Two. <laughs> I've seen six. You've seen the last movie. I've seen. I have seen the last movie, but I've also seen David Bowie the last five years. Oh, okay. I've seen mm. the first six that are mentioned there. Okay, I right. I have not seen the last movie, but I've seen Breakaway. Oh right, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Mm. Oh yeah, I've seen Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces. You haven't seen the last movie, Jr. Well, you've also seen Greaser's Palace, Kevin. That's oh, true. that's oh, <laughs> so, so three instead of two. <laughs> Anyways, I win. You used to see the last movie, Jr. That's uh, that seems like kind of a big yeah, one to be well, missing. I know that now. <laughs> <laughs> Had you not been interested in that before? Are you a Dennis Hopper fan? No, I, I've been interested. It's just never kind of crossed my path. Um, it's on Canopy, I see, which is nice. Mm. Yeah, it was released on Blu-ray, I think, last year, and uh, so 
Okay, I'm gonna. How many movies? Eighty-seven. We're up to eighty-seven fifty-eight now. Wow. Okay, I'm generating the number. You guys ready? <sighs> yeah. It's a low number, which is good. Because <laughs> we don't have to go through that many pages. It's number mm. 399. 399. 399. It's on page four. So 399. Well, I've seen it at least. Kevin probably <laughs> has too. That's true. Oh, I have not. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and and you won't. Great. What is it? Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, it is How to Train Your Dragon, the first one. Oh, okay. Which Have is you like both seen that? Yeah, it's, I, it's like it's a real been a movie. Long time, but I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? It's a real movie, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, we we All bow right. to the will of movie roulette, right? I mean, we don't question it. No, I. You know, I don't. I certainly don't dislike this movie. I'm I'm happy. Okay. I, I actually I being that I haven't seen it, I, I might watch it as well. Um, you know. Since you guys are being forced to. Anyway. Um great. That's mm. our show. We need to figure out what our next pick is. I don't even JR? know whose pick yeah. it is. Is JR's go ahead, JR. And I'm I'm ready. I have it ready this time. Mm. How many was it a Western? <laughs> no, it's not a Western. Um, so yeah, this one, uh, it's definitely, I'm going to call it a, uh, it's a just for me pick. Like I did not Uh-oh. consider Uh-oh. you guys' tastes. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> just because I wanted to, to watch a movie from this director. So uh, we are going to watch Fritz Long's 1955 pirate adventure movie, Moonfleet, which is uh, an underseen mm. English language gem from, you know, an absolute titan. Is is uh, you, you, It's you only 87 minutes. Fr- Fritz Long? Long, Long, Lang? Lang? I don't, <laughs> Lang doesn't feel right for for German, but Yeah, but you're not German. Okay, Fritz Lang. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I don't I'm not going to do a big thing with you. Uh, it's uh, uh okay, I've never even heard of this. Yeah, is there a way to see it or are we going to be I, mean, I don't know. I might oh, okay. end up uh, sending it to you guys. I'll, I'll look at what's available. Uh, I, I didn't even look to see if it was streaming. Um, okay. But it's only 87 minutes, so you're welcome. You know, I don't know that I've... I've only seen... Don't say I think the, the one Fritz Lang movie. No, that Him wasn't a Fritz Lang movie. I don't think I've Metropolis. seen any Fritz Lang movies. No, I don't think I've seen anything. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, Ke- I'm into this. Kevin, Stuart have you seen... Ranger, George Sanders? Huh? Have you seen any Fritz Lang movies? Uh, I've seen M. Okay. Uh, the big, the big heat. Cool. Is that what? Yeah. Anyway, um, and I, I saw like the Testament of Doctor Mabusa, but I need to watch it again. Yeah. Okay. So you've at least seen some. That's good. John, you have not. This is a weird no, it introduction. Says I, it says I've seen one. I don't know what it is though. Might be like a '50s noir that he made. Oh, I watched Denibalugan, the first Denibalugan. I forgot about that. Oh, right. Um, but I also, and I enjoyed it. But uh, but I also, um, I was this close to watching Rancho Notorious when it was on the, the uh, Western Noir series, and I just didn't make it to it before I got taken home. So. Mm. All right. So Moonfleet. Moonfleet it is, right. directed by Fritz Lang from the 50s. 
What what year? Cool. 55. 55. And we will uh, see you guys next time. Until then, you can email us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website, filmyakpodcast.com. And, uh, you know, find us on Facebook or Instagram, filmyakpodcast. Like and subscribe. Uh, and that's uh, that's going to do it for us. So thanks a lot for listening. See you next time. swimming with millions of babies in a rainbow and they was naked and then all of a sudden I turned into a perfect smile